Hi everyone, I trust that you're doing really well and that you're as excited as I am about this new series. We're going to be talking about building a culture of generosity. This is so important and the way I'm going to teach this is over the next four weeks or so, we're going to be unpacking what generous people do differently. Father, we ask for your help. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. You are our teacher. You will guide us into all truth. And we pray, Father God, that you may build a strong culture of generosity. We thank you for all the generous people in our church. But we pray, Father, that we would go from good to great in this spiritual virtue of generosity. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You see, when it comes to building a culture of generosity, I want to start off by sharing with you Acts chapter 20, verse 35. There's a very powerful principle that we come across. Paul, quoting Jesus, says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, what he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. This is such a foundational scripture in this series. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, the natural tendency for a human being is to feel blessed when they receive a gift. And we should feel blessed by that. However, by implication, Jesus is suggesting that the giver of the gift has more reason to make the statement that they are blessed, that they have been blessed, that they are super, super duper blessed. Jesus was challenging our mentality and was helping us to renew our minds so that we have the kingdom mindset that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And this applies to all kinds of giving, whether it's financial giving or giving a compliment. Regardless of what type of giving it is, you're more blessed when you are the one who's giving than the one who's receiving. This is such a crucial foundation. Now let me unpack the definition of generosity. It's interesting because it's the Hebrew word tob, which means pleasant, agreeable, good-looking, or better, or cheerful. And that's why Jesus says, um, well, we taught in scripture that God loves the cheerful giver, the cheerful giver, the generous giver, the one who uh, is agreeable and pleasant about their giving. It's interesting because the Greek word is um, used um, and it's the word yumatotados, um, okay, yumatotados, and it literally speaks of ready to impart, willingly sharing, open-handedly, doing it with ease and promptitude. There's almost an element of spontaneity to it. It's not one who holds back and they're like, oh, should I give this person or this person for a long time? Okay, they're like looking for opportunities to give. Okay, they're doing it open-handedly. They're doing it without reservation. Now, here's the interesting thing. If I was told that if I get mealy seeds and planted them in green soil, the seeds would turn to gold. My natural reaction would be to ensure that I have mealy seeds, mealy seeds and every day I'll be looking for green soil. Where's the green soil? Where's the green soil? Where's the green soil? Therefore, if Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive, as Christians, if we truly believe this scripture stated by Jesus himself, the natural reaction should be to figure out and to master how to give in the right way. 
What I find amazing about scripture is that it talks a lot about giving, but it also talks a lot about how we give. You see, there's a type of giving and a type of generosity that's registered in heaven, that gets heaven's attention. And that's what I'm interested in. But there's a lot of giving that happens that doesn't have the spiritual impact that we want. In Proverbs 21 verse 26, it shows us one of the ways to give correctly. It says, all day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. It's basically talking about the difference between someone who's stingy and someone who's generous. It says, the righteous give without sparing. And I'm amazed by how it uses the term the righteous. It doesn't say the generous. It doesn't say the wealthy. It doesn't say the ones with a lot of money. It says the righteous give in this way. They give without sparing. And here's the principle. You cannot separate righteousness from giving and generosity because the righteous give. Be careful if you are naturally risk averse. You see, two people can give the same amount, but one does so very cheerfully whilst the other person struggles because of fear of lack. In James 1 verse 17, the Bible says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So we see here that God himself is a giver. Isn't that amazing? God himself is a giver, and therefore we should master the art of giving. If we want to be like him, part of Christ-likeness, Part of being godlike, part of being a partaker of the divine nature is that we are generous, is that we are generous. And I believe that your, your life is largely shaped by your generosity. Your life is largely shaped by your generosity. You're not one who gives sparingly and it determines the direction of your life. See how a person gives and I'll show you where their life will end up. Amy Carmichael, the great minister of the gospel, once said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving. And we know that that happens a lot. But you cannot love without giving. Winston Churchill said, We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. I'm telling you right now, your life and the direction it takes will be seen, will be determined largely by how you give. Whether you're giving compliments or giving money, or giving your, your time, giving off your talent, whatever it is, it will be seen in your giving. So here's the principle. Your giving defines you and is a determining factor in what your life will look like. Some of the crossroads people are experiencing right now will depend on their willingness to give. Be careful of giving like a robot who's discovered a formula that they can automate. Make sure there's always love in it. Give with love. That's the principle we see here. Give with love. Make sure that your giving is always mixed with love. Mother Teresa said, it's not how much we give, but how much love we put into our giving. Have you noticed that? You can get a wonderful meal from someone and they just like throw it at you. Or you can be in a situation where someone gives you a small cookie, but it's given with so much love. And the blessing of that is better. So God is calling us to be uncommon Christians that do more than others. We need to be uncommon in our giving. 
I've identified attributes of generous people and these attributes are different from the average Christian givers who are generally lukewarm when it comes to their giving. As we go through these, highlight the ones you need to work on. You see, God wants us to be distinguished in these things. In Matthew chapter 5, 46 to 48, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So be complete, be whole in your giving. That's what it's speaking about here. And it's interesting that Jesus is challenging his followers to go the extra mile, to be different. He's basically saying, you guys, don't be too impressed with yourselves by how you are behaving because you're just like the tax collectors. You're just like the pagans. And God is calling us as believers to be different, to be uncommon. He's basically saying, you know what, if you only speak to those people that speak back to you, you've already received your reward because you're doing something that will, you know you will be re reciprocated. And when he's talking about giving and he's talking about kindness, he's talking about loving people, he's saying, don't just love people who will love you back because then that's normal. I'm expecting more from you. And I believe that if we've got the love of Christ in us, like Romans 5, verse 5 says, the love of God has been shared abroad in your hearts uh, by his spirit, then more is expected because we carry the love of God. Please note what Jesus is challenging us to do here, despite our personalities. This is so important. He's saying, don't just love those who love you back. So you might say, but I'm an introvert. I have to feel safe with people first and then I can step out. When I coach people in organizations and try to stretch them, I challenge them and I say, you know what, you guys of this type of personality, learn to start conversations because you will limit yourself if you can't. Start conversations with strangers. Stretch yourself. Don't just glorify your personality or hide behind your personality. You see, what the Word of God instructs us to do is, is way more than just our personalities. And this goes for you. Those of you who are extroverts, the Bible says, hey, be slow to speak, be quick to listen. Okay, so the instructions that are given to us in the Word of God that don't necessarily always flow with how we're naturally wired. But God is saying, when you embrace Christ, these are the things you begin to do. In Proverbs 28, verse 27, it says, Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Now, this is a bit of a wake-up call, you see, and sometimes we don't want to see certain people. We, don't, we close our eyes to them because we know if we look at certain people, compassion can flow. Remember, the Bible says Jesus looked at the man and loved him right? There's something about what you look at. And when you keep looking at the particular thing, the compassion can flow. So sometimes we don't even want to see certain things, right? That's why people send all sorts of pictures overseas, you know, with these babies who are malnourished and so on, because when people see, compassion can flow. But the Bible says here, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. And don't just say to me, oh, but that's Old Testament. See, that's the thing. When we see things in the Bible that we don't like, immediately we're like, oh, this is Old Testament. So we get a whole lot of other wisdom from the book of Proverbs. But the part that talks about receiving curses, we're like, ah, it's not for me. Let me tell you something. There are consequences to not being generous. You don't remain in a neutral state 
if you're a stingy person. It's important to understand this. So this verse is to encourage us to go the extra mile, okay? Even to people who are not our family or our friends. There's a blessing on us for that, okay? Doesn't mean that you should give to everyone on the street or everyone who asks you for money. Obviously, you can have healthy boundaries. And that's why it's important to be strategic in your giving to the poor. You see, it becomes easier to say no to someone if you know that you've got planned giving each month towards those who are marginalized. It's interesting that this is not uh, some nice to have. It's not some nice to have, but, but there are negative consequences to stinginess. It's not like God is just saying, hey, if you're a believer in me, uh, it would be nice if you give to the poor. No. It's actually talking about something as an instruction from the Lord. In Deuteronomy 15, verse 7, it says, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. You could see that God's plan for his Israelites, okay, for the Israelites, his plan was that they would all prosper. They would all live in abundance. He didn't like the whole thing that there were some really prospering and then there were others who remained poor. He wanted people to all be lifted up, okay, and to experience the abundance. And I think this is so important. It says, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Let me tell you something. One of the reasons a lot of people are not generous is because of the condition of their hearts. It's because of the condition of their hearts. You see, there are things that harden our hearts. I still remember years ago, someone who mentored me uh, spiritually said to me, Paul, I notice the gentleness you have, the tenderness you have. This is way back, about 21 years ago. And he says, you know what? Guard your heart and keep that tenderness. And he said to me, Paul, you know, uh, there are things that can harden the heart. Sometimes in ministry, your heart can grow hard. Sometimes in marriage, your heart can grow hard. Make sure that you guard your heart with regards to the tenderness that I see that you have. You see, we need to deal with these things. Were you once tender-hearted, but something has since changed? What changed you? Some people were very tender-hearted, and then they had bad experiences. Let me ask you, were you taken advantage of? You know, Or was your good nature abused? What caused you to harden your heart? Do you now have rigid boundaries instead of healthy boundaries? Okay. When you see that the opportunity to give is to your advantage, you stop ranking people to see who qualifies for me to give them something. All right. You will overlook certain things because you're desperate for your giving to be registered in heaven. This is so important. If we want to create a culture of generosity, we must define it clearly. We must be clear in our minds. This is what generosity looks like. You see, there are things generous people do differently, okay? And I want to encourage you as we go through this process, do an honest generosity audit on yourself and see what comes up. So the first thing I want to highlight that generous people do differently. Generous people give completely. This is so important. They give completely. In Malachi 3, verse 10, a scripture many of us are familiar with, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Okay, this is powerful. You see, when you give, 
whether it is through tithes or offerings, whatever type of giving, my question to you is, is there complete obedience to ensure that your giving is not sparingly, but completely generous? You see, the God who's more than enough is calling us today to give completely. You see, when you do so, it shows that you trust God as your source, okay? And instead of partial obedience, there's full obedience. I remember the Lord challenging me some years ago when I was doing some shopping for a particular orphanage, okay? And with some kind of grocery shopping. And I remember the Lord convicting me and saying, Paul, you're spending the same money on this grocery shopping you're doing, same money that you did last year, okay? But there's something called inflation, isn't there? So if you're spending the same money because of inflation, they're actually not getting the same amount because you can't purchase. Your purchasing power has changed if you're just focusing on the same amount, right? Um, and that was a wake-up call for me. And what I, what I felt was I felt challenged to give more. You see, as business people, we increase our rates, don't we? You know, from time to time, if you're in consulting and so on, each year. And sometimes we want to do that because we understand our value. My question to you is, you have that mindset of increasing your rate when it comes to what you will get. But do you have the same mindset when it comes to what you will give? Just think about that so that the impact of your giving is still high. When it comes to our tithe, are we giving completely or are we trying to take shortcuts? It's important to understand this. And I know that times are difficult. I know that sometimes we'll delay a tithe because we have to pay for this or pay for that. But this is something that should be the exception. This is something that we should be conscious of when those kinds of things happen. God is calling us to give completely because generous people give completely. The second thing I want to highlight that generous people do differently is that generous people give what they owe. This is so important. The Bible says in Romans 13 verse 8, Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. This is so important. It is not God's will for us to keep owing people, to always be in a state where we're owing this one and owing this one. The generous person seeks to pay off what they owe people. You see, it's ungodly to be so selective, you know, and selectively generous, okay, where we give to the poor, but we do not give what we owe to our Christian brothers, okay? If you owe someone, come up with a payment plan, you know, or confront people, talk to them about it, right? If you owe them something, be honest, be transparent. Don't keep trying to hide away from them. Let me tell you something. Let me ask you a question. How do they feel when they see you giving a sacrificial offering at church, but not willing to pay them back what you owe? That's, that's hypocrisy, isn't it? Right? How do you feel when someone owes you money, but they're happily taking their family to exotic places for lavish holidays? Okay? You're like, wait a minute, what's going on? They're very, very generous to their spouses and to their kids, but to the person that they owe, they're actually in the, in the red with regards to that, okay? They're the opposite of being generous. You see, we want to create a generous culture that's embedded in meeting our obligations. So there's generosity where we give because it's a choice, but there's also at the same time the foundation of meeting our obligations. It's important to understand this when we're talking about Christian character. The third 
thing that generous people do differently is generous people give to the poor. This is so, so important. Matthew 19 verse 21, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, he's talking to this rich young man, right? If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. So Jesus was endorsing giving to the poor. He was actually saying you will have treasure in heaven when you do so. Elsewhere in scripture it says, he who is kind to the poor or gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? What does that mean? Well, if you lend to the Lord, obviously God is going to pay you back and he pays you back at another level. This is so crucial, you see. So he was endorsing giving to the poor, okay? Um, and, but he didn't leave it there. He also shows us, if you look at this passage of scripture and you study it, he, it shows you that it's possible to give to the poor but still not be following Jesus because he separates the two things. He didn't say, give to the poor and it automatically means you're following me. He says, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, separate event, come follow me. There are a lot of people who give to the poor, but they're not true disciples. They're not following the way of the Lord. You see, some people will give to the poor just to ease their conscience. Some people will give to the poor in, in a way of overcompensating for a lifestyle of licentiousness, of sin. And they think because I'm looking after the community, then I'm fine. Okay, it doesn't work like that. We need to be giving to the poor and then we need to be following Jesus. You see. So giving to the poor results in the building up of treasures in heaven. It's a good thing to do and we need to do it. At the same time, we also need to be true disciples who are following Jesus. In Proverbs 28 verse 27, the Bible says, Those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. And the scripture, I keep sharing it with you, it's powerful. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be one who closes my eyes to the poor all right do you have a plan in your family in terms of what you will do for the poor all right deuteronomy 15 verse 7 says uh and speaks of uh the, this topic of the poor it says if anyone is poor among your fellow israelites in any of the towns of the land the lord your god is giving you do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them this is so so important are you a tight-fisted person and maybe you call it, you know, I'm, I'm just careful. I'm just cautious, you know. Um, be very careful of that because uh, the heart is deceitful. And just because you call it caution, just because you call it, uh, you know, I'm being cautious and I'm being mature now and I don't want to be spontaneous. Just regardless of what you are calling your behavior, God sees your heart. The heart needs to be right, you see. So my question to you is how you are to the poor is a reflection of your heart attitude. Therefore, here's the key question. Are you hard-hearted? Are you hard-hearted? You know, there are things in your life that might have hardened you. Do you know what these things are? As you can see, God wants us to give to the poor. And in order to be intentional in your giving, it's important to have a strategy for helping the poor. Okay, you can adopt an orphanage. You can pay school fees for a child that is not your own child, okay? You can give a monthly amount to a GOP, or Go Outreach Program, to feed a family. You can do all these things, right? Do you have a strategy 
forgiving to the poor? Or have you hardened your heart? Very often we harden our hearts when we think certain people don't deserve it and we begin to play God. And we say, that guy's lazy, therefore. Oh, this one, you know, look at the family he comes from. I think he's going to waste the money. Oh, look at this one. And we begin to play God. We need to be spirit-led when it comes to our giving. And don't be clever here, you know, mentally, where you make excuses, where you rationalize your own stinginess. I see that happening a lot. A lot of people are stingy at heart and they rationalize their stinginess. The fourth thing that generous people do differently is generous people give freely. They give freely. You see, if you love with a hook, you're the kind of person who loves people expecting to get something in return from them. Be so careful. Even if that thing that you're expecting to get is respect. A lot of times people will give because they want you to respect them more or they want to control the relationship. You see this happening a lot. Sometimes you'll have someone who tries to control their siblings by always being the giver. And when the siblings try to give to them, they can't receive. Be very careful. If you're that person who's a so-called caretaker, who likes looking after everyone, there are times where it's important for you to learn to also receive from other people. What's that hook? What's that hook that is linked to your giving? And sometimes, because the heart is deceitful, we need to pray and say, Lord, reveal to me the wickedness of my own heart. Show me if there are wrong motives in this. You know, one of the things I saw happening with myself is sometimes I would get quite angry if maybe I purchased something for one of my kids and uh, they wouldn't really thank me enough or show that much appreciation or they'll thank me like I've just given them a sweet or something. But I think this thing is quite expensive. And I began to explore within my heart, what is my motive for doing that thing for this child? Yes, it's good that they thank me properly, but why is it triggering me so much? And then after a while, you start discovering, maybe it was love with a hook. Maybe I was hoping I could mend the relationship through the giving, but then I didn't see the relationship uh, mended. Maybe it was a situation where I was hoping they would like me more. I'm the cool dad. I'm the generous dad, but I didn't see the response. And then I'm now angry about it. You see, very often when you watch your emotions, your emotions send messages to you. They show you that, wait a minute, you're feeling this way because of this. Okay, so watch your emotions. I think it's so powerful when we do so. Generous people give freely, okay? Uh, not love with the hook. In Exodus 22, verse 25, it says this If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal, charge no interest. Okay, now some people are in that business, maybe bankers and so on, money lenders, etc. That's fine. But very often what happens is, even in the church and so on, we sniff a deal and we sniff it out and we're like, oh, I can make money here. Be very careful of it. In fact, what we encourage people in our church to do is to focus more on giving to other people than lending to other people. Because very often conflict comes through the lending. You lend money to someone and what happens when they don't give it back? All of a sudden, there's big conflict, okay? Sometimes it's good to just say, this is what I have that I can give. It's not that much, but let me give you. And I'm not expecting anything in return. Be, be very careful about lending, okay? Be very cautious about that, all right? So we need to be careful about this thing called love with a hook. Our giving should not be used to control people's behavior and attitude towards us. Very important, okay? You give as unto the Lord as he leads you. 
The fifth thing I want to share with you today is that generous people are unselfish. Generous people are unselfish. <laughs> Unselfishness is one of those uncommon virtues. Okay. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through to 18, it says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. That's one of our problems today. A lot of people put their hope in wealth. You hear them saying, if I get this job, then I'll be set. If I get this extra million, then I'll be set. And their hope is not in God, it's in wealth. It goes on to say, which is so uncertain. Many of you have experienced that, the uncertainty of wealth. You're working for this fancy company and overnight it liquidates. Okay, But to put their hope in God. Why? It says, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What I love about that scripture is the things God gives us so that we can enjoy them. It's okay to enjoy certain things in life. Don't think that you're a spiritual, uh, very mature Christian just because you only focus on asking God for things that you don't enjoy. That means you don't understand his father heart towards you. Okay? It says he richly provides. He doesn't just provide. He richly provides. That's speaking of abundance. Then look at, look at what it says concerning people who are wealthy. It says, command them, not suggest to them, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. This is so important. How willing are you to share what you have? And I'm not just talking about money here. How willing are you to share some of the resources you have, some of the privileges you have? You see, one of the things I've realized even as a parent is that sometimes children can be selfish and unwilling to share with you things that you've bought for them. I remember when my kids were a bit younger, if I bought them a packet of chips or something and I'm feeling a bit hungry or uh, a bit peckish and I say, can you please give me, can you please give me just a little bit? And then you see them giving you a tiny piece so that they can just say, you know, I gave dad, but they didn't really end up giving you freely. All right. Or maybe they hold a piece of, um, maybe it's a fizzer or something like that, but they hold it in such a way that you can't take a big bite <laughs> from them. All right. Um, so even evidently, their desire was not to share. All right. Um, what they forgot is who got the chips for them, who got the fizzers for them, right? Who got that piece of chocolate for them. And that's what we're like with the Lord sometimes. You know, God says, I want you to give person X this. I want you to pay for that person's school fees. And we're like, oh, as if it were our own money. You see, biblical wealth, kingdom wealth is about stewardship. You're a steward of that which God has given you. And it's important as wealth comes to you for you to be sensitive to the spirit. Lord, is this a seed for me to sow? Lord, is this something for me to eat? Lord, is this for my family? Lord, what is this for? I'm a steward. I'm a conduit of your wealth. And what's so powerful about that is as you're faithful in that flow, in that flow, in you being that conduit, God then entrusts you with more. And we need to ask ourselves this question. Do we really believe that? Because when you truly believe these principles, you tap into a dimension that you've never tapped into before, a dimension of endless, endless supply. There's no ending to it, all right? Now, if someone asks you for something, is your mentality to give them just the bare minimum because your heart is still full of stinginess? 
right? You've got a hardened heart or do you have a generous heart? Just think about it. Do you say, what's the bare minimum I can do? You see, we are often like that with God when it comes to tithes and offerings, even as adults, you know? Sharing is a sign of maturity. If you want to know, am I a mature Christian or not? Look at how you give. Deuteronomy 15 verse 10 says, Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. What's the wicked thought? The seventh year, the year for canceling debt is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin because you are not generous. Okay? Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. You see, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hands to. This is such a powerful scripture. What's a key, a major key to walking in the blessing of God? What's a major key to receiving from heaven? It's how we treat the marginalized, how we give freely to those who might be depending on it. You see, your mentality should be that even when people owe you something, there is a space and time to release those debts. You see, you can always see it as sowing into someone's life instead of spending the next 15 years grumbling over it. I'm not saying every single time someone owes you money, you must just let them off. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a place in kingdom living where we sometimes need to release people. And it was interesting how this was actually institutionalized, okay? And there was a culture of doing so, a culture of canceling debt uh, with the children of Israel. I think that's so, so powerful. So God is calling us to a time where we move away from debt-based relationships. You know that sometimes marriages can be like this. Marriages, unfortunately, become debt-based where a spouse may do certain acts, meaning that the person who's benefiting owes the giver. So there's that whole saying, you owe me one. You owe me something. You know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Oh, we owe them this. Be very careful of debt-based relationships, okay? Now, unlike this type of service, the God kind of love, agape, is the type of love that gives without expecting anything in return. You know, Jesus came to the earth and lovingly gave his life for many. He died for us while we were still sinners. Now, it'll be great if the world reciprocates, but you know what? Even when they don't reciprocate, he still loves. He still remains faithful. One of the reasons why certain people's lives are so blessed is that they have a generous heart towards people. And we need to learn that as believers. So I've covered with you five, five things generous people do differently. And I'm going to continue next week with the next five or so of those. And we'll continue until we cover all 20. But I believe that God wants to build in us a culture of generosity. Let's pray. Father, Thank you that you are such a generous father. Give us such a revelation of your nature and your character. We thank you that your name is El Shaddai, the full-breasted one, the God who's more than enough. We receive your nature, your divine nature, and we choose to walk in that same posture toward those around us. Father, give us wisdom in our giving. 
Father, where our hearts have become so hardened because of life issues, may you bring healing to our hearts, Lord God, so that we walk as those who are cheerful givers. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. God bless you.